The Snellen chart features 11 lines of progressively smaller letters. Not just any letters. The Snellen chart uses just nine. C, D, E, F, L, O, P, T, and Z. They're somewhat clunky appearance, and their spacing were all carefully designed. So here we are, we're in this uh, 2020 vision series. I want to uh, start with uh, a story about Helen Keller. Uh, Helen Keller was someone who uh, was a great woman of faith. She was blind, she was deaf, and yet she left this lasting legacy uh, in our world. Most people have heard of Helen Keller. Uh, she was once asked if there was anything worse than being blind, and her response was, yes, being able to see, but not having any vision. I think that's a, a pretty amazing statement, if you, if you ask me. Here was a woman who couldn't see, but she had so much vision for her life. It's a, it's a statement that really pierces through the ability that so many of us have, and so many of us take for granted every day, and yet it points to the reality that very few of us ever really take hold of. The truth is, is that we, most of us, can see clearly, but we lack vision. When it comes to seeing and vision, clarity is of utmost importance. Uh, there are many of you who can uh, see, but your ability to see is blurry, it's cloudy. And so, therefore, you need glasses in order to see clearly. And so, we wear all kinds of glasses. Uh, I am wearing glasses, actually. And I wear glasses uh, not because they make me look smarter, uh, but because when I'm not wearing my glasses, I cannot see you. I mean, I can see you, uh, but you're just a bunch of heads with, you know, faceless. You're just a bunch of faceless heads. And I don't wear my glasses sometimes when I preach when I'm unsure of the message. <laughs> because then it doesn't matter if you're asleep or you're awake or you're mad at me. I, I can't tell. And, and so you're, you're probably thinking, I, I know those Sundays where he's not wearing his glasses. Uh, but when I put my glasses on, because I am nearsighted and I can, I can see things here, but I can't see you, when I put my glasses on, all of a sudden I can see your faces. And so today, you don't get to sleep through my message. I will call you out because I can see your, no, I won't. But uh, even if you can see without glasses, many of us wear uh, sunglasses, right? These happen to be uh, my sunglasses in which are prescription sunglasses, uh, and so I can see you again. And, uh, I, but the problem is I don't like the tint of these sunglasses uh, and so I wear these sunglasses, uh, typically when I'm driving, uh, which isn't great because I can't see very far with these glasses on. Um, and I have a notation on my license, so I keep these glasses in my car in case I get pulled over. So even if, even if you can see perfectly fine, 
most of us wear sunglasses because the glare of the sun causes us to squint. We can't see clearly. But there's another pair of glasses that we wear sometimes, uh, and that's these glasses. These glasses, anybody have any idea what these are? They're 3D glasses. Very good. They're 3D glasses. They used to be red and blue, uh, and the way that they would make the film would be with red ink and blue ink and all this, and, and, then, and then when you combined the, the glasses, it would do something in your brain, and it would make it pop out. Now it's just these weird uh, grayish colors, and everything pops out onto the screen. And so when you go to Star Wars or you go to the newest Pixar movie, what, what, what happens is you, you're looking at the screen and it's blurry in two dimensions, but you put your glasses on and all of a sudden that two-dimensional film begins to jump out at you and you begin to have an experience. Glasses. The reason why I bring this up is because I think that what happens in the theater with 3D glasses also happens in our lives. That too many of us are watching our 3D life in two dimensions. That God is writing his story of this world. He's wanting to write the story of your life and he wants it to leap up off the pages of the Bible and make a difference in our work, make a difference in our homes, make a difference in our neighborhoods, that, that there's something that could leap out. The problem is, is that most of us live our life in a blur, going through the motions, doing the same thing over and over and over again. Th think about it. What do you see when you look at your own life? What, what do you experience? For, for some of us, we, uh, we are nearsighted, like I am, and we see the obstacles and the, uh, and the struggles and sometimes the opportunities, but we can't see a vision for the future. Other people are farsighted, and they can see the future. They have vision for the future. The problem is, is the obstacles and the struggles and the things get in the way of a preferred future. Last year, we, uh, we took 40 people through a unique accelerator, uh, which is this crash course of helping you discover your life design. And this year, we want to expand that. We want to open it up to to more of you to be a part of a unique group. And we're going to get more information and details for you on that. But our goal is to figure out how do we equip you for the 90% of your life? That if the majority of your life is spent outside these walls, I mean, let's be honest, you're here on Sundays, you're serving, maybe there's one other engagement throughout the week, but for the most part, 80 to 90% of your life is taking place outside the walls of, these church, of this church. And our job is to equip the saints. Our job as leaders of the church to equip you in how do you go into your workplace? How do you go into your, neighbor's, uh, into your neighborhood? And how do you bring Jesus into that place? Well, part of that is understanding what your identity is in Christ. 
God has been having this dream about your life from the beginning of time. And I want us to take a look at the book of Jeremiah, where we see this this prophet. This is a, a guy like you and me who has prophesied right before and during the darkest time in Israel's history. He's prophesying about 100 years prior to this, Israel had been destroyed, the people had been scattered all around the Assyrian Empire, and Jeremiah's task was to warn all of the unrepentant people that there was a day of reckoning that was almost upon them. Jeremiah prophesied for 50 years. He was known as the weeping prophet primarily because He continued to prophesy, he continued to prophesy, he continued to prophesy, and although he pleaded with Judah to return to God, the nation never did. I tell you this because there's actually good news in this. The good news is is that we aren't the first people in the history of this world to struggle with our identity, to struggle with vision. In fact, if you were to go through the Bible, most of the great leaders in history had this struggle as well. If you look at Moses, Moses struggled as a convicted killer on the backside of the desert, wondering and questioning what had God made him to be. Gideon struggled uh, by threshing wine on, uh, in a, or wheat in a wine press because he couldn't imagine that he was actually the mighty man of valor that God had called. Samuel struggled to identify, here's a guy who's been given the task to go and anoint a king. And he goes in and he, he goes down the list of sons, thinking that it would be Jesse's oldest son, but but only to realize that it would be a shepherd boy that wasn't even invited to the party that ultimately would be king. That would be a little bit of a blow to you, you'd think. Paul had to literally be knocked to the ground and blinded for a few days just so that he could start seeing correctly. So I want us to, I want us to see that Moses and Gideon and Samuel and Paul, they all struggled with the same struggle that Jeremiah had. In fact, the whole book of Jeremiah is is kind of an inside look at one prophet's struggle to see what God sees, to see how God sees him. So in chapter one, we jump in and we listen to, to Jeremiah's struggle to see both who he is and what God wants to do with his life. It's really kind of this amazing story and one that, that I think that in some capacity we can relate to. What we, we live in a culture and we are living in a time where there continues to be this tension between uh, like living this life in the midst of depression, living this life in the midst of anxiety, living this life not knowing who we are. And I think to some extent we can identify with Jeremiah in this. So the context is there's this threat of attack The deliverance of God seems to be this distant story of their past, but nowhere connected to the reality of their day-to-day. So you've got a group of people who are just going through life, just going through the motions, living to satisfy themselves, forsaking God and his ways, and using everything that they had been given by God to serve themselves. It's right at this point that God calls one man, named Jeremiah, to be his mouthpiece to the nation. 
In Jeremiah chapter one, verse four through eight, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, Jeremiah speaking, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. So the first thing that I want you to hear this morning is that you are a one-of-a-kind design. That each and every one of you in this room are different. You are one-of-a-kind. God has created you. He has wired you. He has made you. He has formed you uniquely to be in this world. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul reminds us of this again, and this is a familiar passage to most of us, when he says, and I like how the New Living Translation says, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. The word masterpiece there is the Greek word, is where we get that word is poema. It's the Greek word poema, which means poem that you are God's poem, that that you are his art, his, his masterpiece, that you are his uniquely created, beautiful poem. As a work of art, we are designed to do the good works that God has prepared for us. God has been dreaming about life from the beginning of time. He's been dreaming about your life. And your life was never meant to just go through the motions in a 2D blurry state. It was to be lived into the fullness, into the purpose of what he's formed us to do. What he's called and is continuing to call us to do. The truth of this, however, is that though this is an idea that was found throughout Scripture again and again, and is a truth that if we're being honest with ourselves, we want to believe, but it's the struggle is real. As Jay said, that there's a struggle for us to actually believe that there's something unique about us. That, that God is that somehow made everyone else his poem, but not me. Well, if that were true, then you would be unique. The, the reality is, is we live in a culture that says, no, we, we are all the same. And that there's only just, there's just a few people that are unique. And, and we platform those people, don't we? We, uh, we put them in movies and we put them on, on advertisements and, and we look at the beautiful people and the talented people and we say, they're unique. But the rest of us, we're just the same. That is not what Jeremiah tells us. The truth is, is that, that Jeremiah gives this glimpse into how we are completely, intentionally created. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because like Jeremiah, we convince ourselves that we're too young. We convince ourselves that, that we don't have enough talent. We can't speak. We, we convince ourselves that we can't do the things that, that I know God wants me to do because I'm just, I, I, I can't. Maybe you're 
you don't think that you're too young, but there's a whole other side of that that thinks, well, my, my time is done. I can't contribute to the kingdom of God because I'm too old. I don't have, uh, I don't have enough giftings or whatever. And, and it's, it's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. There's the other side of that is even if we were convinced that that God has made us uniquely and purposefully, we often look at our environment and our circumstances and say, it won't allow me to pursue it. So we get caught up in this haze of ordinary. We get caught up rarely glimpsing the extraordinary creation that God made us to be. And we just settle for a blurry, 2D, ordinary life. The problem with that is it, it lowers our expectations of what we think God can do through us. And so what happens is when we leave here and we go out into the 90% of our life, we don't go in an anticipation that God actually could work through me to bring Jesus to them to bring Jesus to a world that's looking for hope, looking for life. Have you ever noticed that when you buy a shirt off the rack, it never really fits quite right? We've got these generic sizes. They're small, medium, large, extra large, extra, you know, we, it seems like our sizes are getting a little bit bigger, but we go to the store, we buy it off the rack, and and. It's supposed to fit because we fall into the category and yet we get at home and like, it just doesn't fit right. Or we go and we buy a dress shirt and there's like all of these. I, don't even, I haven't even figured it out. I don't understand the 16 and a half and the, you know, it's like one's the length of your arm, one's the length, the width of your neck and mine's like, you know, two. And, and so it's like you, you, you just, you, you, you go and you try to buy it and you put it on and you're like, ah, it's, it's, it's close, but it's not perfect. And you take it home and, and you put it on your, in your closet, you hang it up in your closet, and you have a closet full of clothes that don't fit quite right. But if you've ever had a shirt or a suit or a dress that's tailored to your body, it's tailored to fit you, oh, that changes everything, right? And, and I, know, I get it. This sounds super pretentious. sounds a little bit like you got first world problems, you know, if you're Clothes aren't fitting correctly, but there's people without clothes. I get it. I understand. But just put your judgment aside for a second and, and think about the fact that when you put on a shirt that's tailored to fit you correctly, tailored to fit your body in the right way, oh, it is a good, good feeling, right? It's a, it's a good feeling. In fact, I would argue that that the way you look in your clothes has less to do with your body and more to do with the way that your clothes fit on your body. What's true about clothes is true about our lives. How many of us have shrunk back into a life that looks nothing like the life that God designed us to live? I wonder how many of us have, have been burned by the lure of a pipe dream which is usually fueled by this idea of an American dream that no one can really pursue because it's so big that it makes you unhealthy. 
I wonder how many of us are caught kind of in between the two. Like, I don't have all of my shirts tailored. In fact, I don't have any of them, but I do have a tailored suit that I never wear, interestingly, and probably don't fit into anymore. But you may have one shirt that is tailored and the rest of your clothes not, and you kind of go back and forth, and it just doesn't feel quite right. And Jeremiah teaches us that this is not how we are to live our lives. That God has designed us. He has formed us. He has, he has placed his hands on us to be just the right size to accomplish everything that he has called you to do. Chapter 1 goes on in verse 8. It says, God speaking, he says, Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you I, and, and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand. He touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So the second thing I want you to leave here this morning with is that your divine design points you directly to your divine destiny. That, that the thing that God's called you to do is driven by the, the way in which he's wired you, that he's made you, the, the, the plans and the purpose that he's put in you. And God tells Jeremiah that he's to be a planter and a builder. Not, not a literal planter. It's not like he's a gardener all of a sudden or an architect where now he's building buildings. No, he's, he's actually a prophet who plants and builds with his words. And this planting and building is not gonna happen on neutral ground. In fact, to plant, he will need to plow up some things that have, that have grown up there, some things that aren't supposed to be growing. In order to build, there will be some things that have to be torn down or removed or remodeled. It's not going to be easy, but, but the work will be good. In fact, in his case, not everyone will appreciate the fact that the work that he's doing. In fact, in, in his case, the reality is, is most of Jeremiah's life, people resented what he was doing. But look at what was promised from God to him. He promises, I will, I will help you do it. These are the words that God gives to each of us. If we think that we have to go at this alone, the promise of God is, I will be with you. I will be with you in this. He, he will help us in the process. These are the words that God gave to Moses when he sent Moses to Pharaoh to demand that his people be freed. He says, I will go with you. These are the words that Gideon gets, right? Where, where, where when, when Gideon has to free the Israelites from the Amalekites, he, he, or from the Midianites, he, he delivers them. And God says, I will go with you. These are the words that God gave Solomon when he was convinced that he couldn't live up to his father's reputation and fill his father's shoes. He says, I will go with you. These are the words that Paul gave Timothy as he passed the torch from the early church to the next generation. He says, I will go with you. These are the words that, that Jesus gave to the disciples 
in the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you. If there are things that God has called us to do, we can trust in the promise that he will be with us. If he's telling us he's designed us for great things, he's also telling us what I design, I also destine. If you continue to let me form you and make you, I will help you step into your divine design. A few years ago, uh, it was August of 2017, uh, in America there was a total eclipse of the moon, not the heart, uh, a total eclipse of the sun, actually, total eclipse of the sun. And it's an interesting, fascinating uh, thing of nature where as we uh, started going through the anticipation of this eclipse taking place, uh, we started hearing words like totality. We, we, we started hearing the word totality, right, where, uh, where there would be this, this band across our country where if you were within this small little band, you could experience the totality of the eclipse. In fact, one of the, one of the places is uh, in Madras, Oregon, uh, was one of the places that you could experience the totality. I played them in soccer uh, while I was uh, growing up in, in Oregon. And, and it's just a small little town. To get there would have been very difficult. You would have fought traffic because everybody wanted to go see the total eclipse. But if you were not in the band of totality uh, and you found yourself maybe in the 77%, not in the 100%, but the 77%, even if you found yourself in the 97%, when the eclipse took place, you found yourself kind of thinking, eh, it's not that big of a deal. It was like, okay, it seemed, it seemed I was under-impressed. Under like it felt like an over-exaggeration to me. So it, seemed like a, it seemed like something that people wanted to sell you some glasses uh, so they could make money off you for looking at the sun. Like, but the people in the band of totality, the people who experienced the total eclipse, it was a different experience. I mean, you, you saw pictures of people watching it and, and, and video of, uh, of the eclipse taking place and it went dark and it was just this amazing kind of freak of nature thing and people were crying about it and they're like, I can't believe this, it's changed my life. Like, weird stuff, but weird stuff happens when, anyways. So I say all that to say is it would have been very, very difficult to get to the band of totality. And I would say the same thing in our own lives, that to experience the totality of what God wants to do in your life will not be easy. It's not easy. <laughs> There's going to be some things that you're going to have to do, some sacrifices that you're going to have to make in order to experience all of what God wants to do in and through you. Jeremiah could have, in that moment, decided, I'm just going to stay on the peripheral. 
I, I, I'm going to I'm going to stay in like the the ninety percent, and he would have missed it. He would have missed that moment with God. It wasn't an easy journey for Jeremiah. It's not an easy journey for us. I think that there are things that God wants us to experience of who we are in our identity that comes from him that will require some difficult adjustments in our life. One of the things that... uh, so, as I said earlier, some of the tools that we have in place, listen, these are tools. Tools can change at any time. So what we have as tools, uh, there may be other churches that have these tools. There may be other churches that have different tools. So they're just tools. So the tools aren't the thing that drives our vision as a church, but the tools are what help us accomplish the vision as a church. And Right now, the tools that we have are things like Rooted. We have things like Embrace Grace. We have things like uh, Financial Peace uh, for your finances. We have uh, things like Unique. We have Life Groups. And for some of you this year, going into this year, there, needs, there is this sense of, you know what? I need some clarity in my finances. I just need to get that cleared up this year. And, and we would just say, well, a tool for that, it's not the only tool, but a tool for that is financial peace. And Don is going to be leading a group of that in February. Here's the thing. It's not, gonna, it's not easy. It's not easy. It costs you money to do it. It's not, it's not easy. You're going to have to fight traffic to get here on a Wednesday night. It's going to be hard. You, you might even have to request time off work early. There's going to be, it, it's going to be difficult. Uh, to be a part of a rooted group, you, you're going to have to go maybe into some uncomfortable situations. You're going to show up to somebody's house that you don't know. And you wonder, like, do they clean their house? <laughs> they, what kind of food are they going to give me? Like, the answer is yes, we make all of our, I, actually, I don't know if we make them. <laughs> yeah, they, it'll be clean. It'll be, it'll be good. It'll be uncomfortable. Let's just, just admit it. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's okay. But there's something that's going to take place in that experience that you're going to uncover and discover a clearer picture of how God's made you and wired you. Whether it be rooted groups or one of our unique groups that we're going to be launching this year, or whether it's just continuing on in a life group and being in community, which is what God has called us to do. That there's opportunities for us that require some sacrifice, require some challenges, require rearranging schedules, and not just living our life in a blur, but actually taking a step back, putting our 3D glasses on and saying, God, I want to experience more of you. Now, again, they're tools. There's nothing mystical or magical about the tools, but we feel like right now they're the best tools out there to accomplish this in our lives. And and that's ultimately our driving force is we want to be a a, a leadership who helps equip you to go and live the 90% of your life as Christ-following, purpose-driven people in this world. Because if all of us were to go into all of our environments and live that way, we will make a difference. We will. 
if, if all we do is just come here and kind of go through the motions and things, we'll have a good, we'll have a good time together. It'll be fun. We'll experience some things of God. We'll experience a move or power there. But what happens when all of us go with the kingdom of God living in us and the power of the Holy Spirit and when our, our neighbor gets diagnosed with a sickness that we go in anticipation that I am not just like everybody else. I am a son and daughter of the Most High God. I have the power of the Holy Spirit living in me and when I pray, I expect that God's going to heal. That's different. That's a, that's a different mentality. It's a different purpose. It's, it's a different understanding of the fact that I am not just ordinary. I am extraordinary, not because of who I am, but because of who God is living in and through me. I, I want to I live that life. I, I don't do it as often as I should, but I do want to, as we go into this new year, I want to be a person that lives with purpose, I went through unique uh, about a two year uh, about a year and a half ago. I went through that tool, and to be honest with you, it was really impactful in my life. There's other people who have been through it, and maybe they didn't experience the same thing I did or whatever. You know, we get different things out of different tools, but doing this tool for me, uh, it it made a huge difference in my life. In that. Uh, and I've shared this before, so if you're visiting, you, you just have to forgive me on this illustration, but uh, if I'm just being completely honest, there's been times in leading this church where I've wondered, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this my purpose? Is this what, you know, and it usually takes place on Mondays when I'm wearing my glasses and I can see you, but um, just kidding. The, the reality is, is we, we all kind of go through those seasons, I think, if we're being honest, where we just we struggle with what is, what is God's plan and purpose for my life? And as I went through it, what I discovered is, is that this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and there's some other elements to my role here at this church and, uh, and in our district and in our country in regard to churches and consulting and some things that were uncovered in that, that I feel like I'm, I'm right in the midst of the purpose of what God's called me to do. And, and I'm not saying that to brag, certainly not, but I am saying it to encourage that if I could experience that in the midst of confusion and different things in my own life, that, that maybe you could experience a little more clarity. That's what it is that God's calling you to. Because I'll tell you, honestly, for me, it's made a difference in my home. Uh, it's made a difference in my uh, personality. It's made a difference in, in my demeanor towards people. Uh, it's made a difference because I'm, I'm living in the lane that God has me. And I love it. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. There was, I think the Powerball was up to, what, 234 or something. Don't, don't pretend like you don't know. Like, oh, we're not supposed to play the Powerball. It's like, up to, it's all in the news. It's like 234 million and something ridiculous like that. I told Kelly, I said, if we won that, we'd have to play first. But if we, if we played and if, if we won it, I would still do this. She said, you're a liar. Uh, I said, no, I really, she didn't say that. I, I really am serious. I, I would continue to do this. Not, not because I get paid to do this. Not because, not because I have all the money in the world or opportunities. It's, it's because this is what I'm 
I'm called to do. This is what I was made for. I was made to, to do these kinds of things in the midst of ministry. Jeremiah never in a million years thought that he would be the prophet to Israel. He was too young. Couldn't speak very well. And yet after God touched his mouth, all of a sudden, with all authority, he was speaking on God's behalf. I've experienced that, not in the fact that I now all of a sudden speak eloquently or any of those things. Uh, but I have experienced what it is to see the transformation and restoration of people's lives and organizations for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.